0: Good morning, (laughs) and happy Founders Day. (laughs) So since it's Founders' Day today, I decided to um, talk to you guys a little bit about uh, the work that Felix Adler did in setting up free kindergartens in the United States. And we don't really tend to think of kindergartens as being particularly revolutionary or uh, controversial, but actually at the time, in the 1870s, when Felix Adler was doing this, they were actually very controversial, and um, it, was, it was a big departure from the way education had been done previously. Um, so in my research, when I was working on this as part of my leader training, you know, I, I started looking around at other ways that poverty was being addressed in New York at this time. Um, so that's sort of the angle that my paper came from and, and that my talk today is coming from, sort of juxtaposing uh, what was going on at that time. So Victorian thinking saw poverty largely as a result of moral failings. Um, Charles Loring Brace, who founded the Children's Aid Society in 1853, um, thought that the best way to solve this problem was to take children from the, from the poor cities and to move them out into uh, the suburbs and onto farms and rural areas. And um, this also meant that they were largely taking uh, children Who were coming from backgrounds, often coming from backgrounds of uh, Catholic religion or Jewish religion, and moving them to Protestant families in um, the farmlands. And so this was very controversial in the city. A lot of people were really upset about this. And so um, there were efforts to try to to counter this. Um, You know, there was other Protestant charities that were doing similar types of things. For example, um, a lot of times. Um, pastors would go into hospitals, they would find people on their deathbeds, and they would convince them to convert to Christianity uh, just before they died. And so as a result, uh, the Jewish community in New York set up the Jews' Hospital, which today is known as Mount Sinai, and it was specifically done for the purpose of combating uh, this this proselytizing that was going on. Uh, in 1863, the Catholics founded their own uh, Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic protectory that was intended to um, bring in Catholic orphans. Um, there was also a lot of stories that were circulating at that time about uh, children, about Jewish children being converted to Christianity, sometimes forcibly, and so this really pushed um, for the creation of what was what would become to be known as the Hebrew Orphan Asylum, and this was actually one of the big projects that uh, Felix Adler's father, um, Samuel Adler, took on as one of his first actions when he came to New York in eighteen in the eighteen fifties. <clears throat> so. So Felix Adler and his family come to New York from Germany in 1857. Um, The city is doing wonderfully. The country as a whole is booming. Uh, But by that fall, there is a financial panic. It's called the Panic of 1857. As much as 10% of the city's Jewish population was thrown out of work, um, that winter there were 41,000 people who were forced to apply for housing in the city's uh, police departments, because that was uh, one of the functions that police departments served at that time, was housing the homeless. Um, And a coalition of synagogues and organizations pooled their resources, and this was really the first big event where um, various Jewish organizations in the city came together um, for a common goal, and they bought 16,000 pounds of matzo for the 1858 Passover, and that was their big contribution. (laughs) Um, But there was also a lot of tension within the Jewish community in New York City as well. Um, So you had a lot of the... Uh, Sephardic Jews who had come over in previous generations and who largely weren't doing so well economically. They hadn't really managed to integrate well into American society. And then suddenly you have this very large influx of reformed Jews coming from Germany, and a lot of them were doing, were, were doing very well. They got into the banking industry right away. They got into a lot of other um, industries. And so they were, they were already, by this time, even though they were new arrivals, much more wealthy um, than the Orthodox uh, Jews that had preceded them. And so Samuel Adler, who was, who was a reformed Jew, ended up getting into a little bit of trouble um, when they were trying to raise funds for the Hebrew orphan asylum. Um, Adler was supposed to be giving the benediction, and there was a lot of uh, the Orthodox Jews who were upset about this because he refused to cover his head during the benediction. Um, as a result, a brawl broke out <laughs> um, in which the Protestant mayor and a number of other prominent New Yorkers had to intervene and break it up. <clears throat> Um, The only reason why we even know about this was because uh, someone who was in attendance was from Baltimore and went back to Baltimore and told the Baltimore Sun, and they were the ones who printed the story in the (laughs) newspaper there. Um, So when the Hebrew orphan asylum was founded, uh, the sectarianism was, uh, you could clearly see it in how the... The institution was set up. So every single weekend, the orphans were taken to a different synagogue around the city. Some Orthodox, some Reform, some in English, some in German, some in uh, you know uh, Yiddish, probably. Um, so just imagine how confusing that would be for you know a nine-year-old kid every single week going and experiencing all these different things in languages they don't even usually understand. Um, when they've built their Finally, built their own permanent building, that was when they started having um, outside speakers coming to talk to the children, and one of those was 19-year-old Felix Adler. And so this was where he started testing out uh, some of his ideas about about, uh, moral education pedagogy. Um, He was also heavily influenced by Henrietta Adler. Um, Henrietta Adler, his mother, took him to the tenements, And there they did a lot of work with the poor there. And without any regard to what their ethnic background was or religious background was, it was just, these are human beings, they need our help, we are here to help them. So then Adler goes off to Germany. And that was where he was supposed to be doing his rabbinic studies, and he did a little of that, but he also uh, did a lot more studying about philosophy and uh, educational teachings from the time. And he was introduced to the pedagogy of uh, Johann Heinrich Pestalozzi and Friedrich Froebel. So Pestalozzi was uh, a Swedish educational thinker in the late 18th century and early 19th century. Uh, he was very influenced by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Um, he rejected the notion of original sin. So in that sense, children are not sort of born tainted. They were you know, born in, in, with sort of a clean slate, if you will. And um, it was something that was inherited, or, or rather something that one acquired through life rather than being simply inherited. Um, so the idea was if you can get the children early, you can sort of set them on a good path early on. <clears throat> he placed a strong emphasis on experiential learning. He also placed a strong enf- uh, emphasis on motherly love as forming the crucial basis for cognitive and ethical, uh, and ethical learning. Um, he also banned uh, corporal punishment, which was a big move at the time. Friedrich Froebel was a German pedagogue, um, and he built a lot on Pestalozzi's work. Um, he actually came up with the idea of the kindergarten in large part because of the rules in Prussia at this time. So the Prussians imposed um, mandatory education for all children. And as a result, a lot of parents would try to get their kids into the education system as early as possible so they could get them out of the education system as early as possible and send them back over to the farms. So the German state came along and said, okay, that's not going to fly. And they said, no children under seven can go into the schools. And so... (laughs) And so as a result, uh, they did allow for these sort of private institutions to function as long as they weren't teaching academic content. And that's how Froebel ended up designing his kindergartens. So kindergartens didn't really focus on reading, writing, and arithmetic. They focused more on social skills and uh, manual learning. And this was how he built his, his whole concept. It was open to all social classes. It was distinctly universalist. Um, So there was no sectarian component to it it at all. They actively taught religious tolerance, which infuriated the church. (laughs) Um, They quickly became embroiled in political issues of the time. The free churches and political reformers um, grabbed onto the kindergarten ideas. And when the revolution of 1848 came along, the kindergartners, uh, that was the term used for people who were supportive of kindergartners, kindergartens, not the kin- children in the kindergartens, um, were very much involved in the, in the, the uprisings that took place then. Um, one of whom was Margaret Myers, who was the future wife of Union Army General and politician Carl Schurz, And they fled this springtime of the people um, and went to the United States, um, where she ended up founding the first kindergarten in the United States. Uh, she also became friends with Elizabeth Peabody, who was very important in the history of um, ethical culture and also um, the Unitarians. Um, she was a pro- uh, Peabody was a prominent transcendentalist. She traveled to Germany in 1867 and convinced a bunch of kindergarten teachers to come back to the United States so they could start kindergartens here. Um, and, and as I said, there was, this was very controversial at the time. A lot of people considered early childhood education to as something that was supposed to be handled by families. Um, Fire, and Br- Fire and brimstone preachers condemned play as frivolous and sinful. This was the path to Satan if you have children playing and doing all these activities. Um, but also in America, there was concern about the Germanness of this kindergarten institution, right? I mean, a lot of the Germans at this time were, were sort of making up the labor class in the United States at this point. And um, you know, they had seen the revolutions that had happened in 1848. Um, and then when, in 1877, there was this massive labor strike that took place in the United States, railroad strike, um, it was largely German and Bohemian workers who were later blamed for that. <clears throat> Um, the strike was also partly influenced by memories of the Paris Commune, and people were thinking this was the socialist takeover of America. Um, and in large part, this you know, this sort of, to some degree, played into Adler's philosophy as well, because he was a social reformer, but he was not uh, interested in, in revolution particularly. And he had actually seen firsthand what, what uh, political violence looked like. So in 1863, he was 12 years old at that point, and... Um, This was in the middle of the Civil War, and the city experienced draft riots because at that time, um, if you were wealthy, you could essentially just pay to get out of the draft and send a poor person in your place. Um, and so a lot of the the poor workers in New York obviously thought this was very unfair and so um, they rioted and um, the other component to it as well was this is now um, later in 1863 this is after the Emancipation Proclamation and so there's this perception that this is now a war to end slavery and that was something that the poor workers in New York just had absolutely no interest in and so they turned a lot of their anger against the African American population of the city um, and uh, ended up lynching a number of African Americans in the city and, and killing them, um, they also burned down uh, the Negro orphan asylum as well, which was one of the things that Adler actually was a, actually witnessed when he was living in the city. Um, uh, Eleanor Adler, one of his family members, recalled he remembered looking down at the riots in the streets after the draft laws had been passed and seeing the red glow in the sky where wherein the Negro orphan asylum was burning. <clears throat> So for Adler, this idea of social upheaval was something that made him very, very nervous. So he comes back to the United States in October of 1873, and wouldn't you know it, another financial panic. Um, The economy collapses again. In January 1874, Samuel Gompers attends a protest in Tompkins Square Park in New York City that turns into a police riot. Essentially, the workers come to protest peacefully, and the police just come in and just start clobbering everybody. In July 1874, New York City ran out of relief funds, so there were 75,000 to 105,000 unemployed, um, who now became entirely dependent on private charities. So um, And then in 1876, we have the centennial celebration taking place in the United States, and that's really the big moment for the kindergarten movement um, because they actually had not one but two exhibitions at the the centennial celebration in Philadelphia, and this was really where people got to see what what kindergarten was all about. Now, I haven't been able to find in my research whether or not it was the centennial celebration that really motivated Adler to start up his kindergarten, um, but it had to have been the kind of thing that was generating a lot of press and a lot of attention. <clears throat> so one of the first acts of the New York Society when they got set up in 1876 was to get this kindergarten up and running. So he worked with another member named Alfred uh, Wolfe and they went into the gas House District of New York City, which was um, a poor area at that time, mostly Eastern European immigrants living there. And they started handing out leaflets advertising this free kindergarten that they were starting up. And um, a lot of the people in the neighborhood were rather suspicious. They actually thought that this was a ploy to kidnap their children and, you know, sell them, essentially. Um, Nevertheless, when the school opened in January of 1878, they had six boys and two girls in their first class. This institution was placed under the auxiliary arm of the society called the United Relief Works, um, which allowed non-members to participate in in the various activities. And then in 1878 also, Adler travels to San Francisco and gives a talk there about kindergartens. And that actually leads to the founding of the San Francisco Kindergarten Society. A uh, Sunday school teacher named Sarah Cooper was very involved in the Kindergarten Society in San Francisco. Um, she introduced Froebel's methods into her Sunday school, <coughs> and uh, that led to a bit of controversy. In 1881, she was accused of heresy. So, even though she was very clear about the fact that this was a you know Christ-centered. Uh, activity that was being done in the the Sunday school, she was still being accused of heresy um, by the organization because the Sunday, this kindergarten stuff just seemed like the work of the devil. Um, It may also have had something to do with the fact that her cousin was Robert Ingersoll, who was a famous agnostic in America. And um, so... The Kindergarten Association was accused of being godless as a result of her participation in it, and they fired back in 1881 in their annual report saying that this accusation originated from, quote, a narrow bigot, an ignorant babbler, or a purely vicious assailant. So writing to Ingersoll, Sarah Cooper wrote... Quote, thank God it is becoming to be more and more understood that religion is not alone a preparation for some future world, but a grand instrument for the improvement of this. And in spite of this controversy, there were 57 kindergartens in San Francisco by 1894, so in the span of less than 20 years. Nevertheless, traditional religion continued to be hostile or ambivalent towards kindergartens. In Boston, for example, almost all Jewish private schools had integrated kindergartens from their founding, whereas few Catholic schools had done so even by the 1980s. 1980s, yes. (laughs) So... After the kindergarten was up and running for a number of years, Adler set himself to the next project, which was creating the working man's school. So this one was going to be um, for older kids. It was going to include eight grades altogether. Um, And this was largely based off of Pestalozzi's uh, teaching. So this was going to be much more focused on experiential learning through uh, learning industrial trades. Adler wrote an article uh, entitled The Influence of Manual Labor on Character. And he said, let there be no machine work let the pupils turn out completed articles, for only thus can they full can the full intellectual and moral benefit of manual training be reaped. So this is interesting. So what Adler is basically saying here is that he was looking around at what was going on in the industry at this time, and it was becoming increasingly about doing your own tiny little piece. in in the overall assembly line, right, so one worker would just keep doing the same repetitive task all day, every day, for the rest of his life. And so Adler was saying, no, you have to look at the whole picture. We want our students to be able to build from scratch all the way to the end, because that's how they're going to appreciate, um, you know, in sort of a more spiritual sense, all the different components that go together to to making this thing possible. And this program is wildly successful. <clears throat> um, the president of the New York City uh, Board of Education declared, quote, If I could have my way, every public school in the city would be conducted in accordance with the system of instruction adopted in this school. In 1891, the Herald Tribune emphatically supported the school's use of field trips to factories, steamboats, and other examples of engineering feats that would, that would generally appeal to students. The women's auxiliary in the New York Ethical Society also did a lot of work with the New York Women's Trade School Union. So they were also interested in trying to um, being able to integrate women into the workforce as well. So Adler's conception of industrial work stood in stark contrast to what was going on at the Hebrew Orphan Asylum. So the Hebrew Orphan Asylum ultimately did create an industrial school, but it was really more uh, as a matter of necessity because they were having a lot of trouble discharging their male wards. So with the female wards, it was fairly easy. You just sent them off to be maids for somebody, and that was how they got rid of their their girls. So you know, turn twelve years old, go work for uh, someone, you know, dusting and, and cleaning and stuff like that. <clears throat> but the boys, was, it was a lot more difficult, and the um, the orphanage was not willing to send them off to Protestant families, and they were finding a lot of Jewish families that they were not finding a lot of Jewish families to take them in. So they ended up setting up a print shop as a means of teaching the boys a trade. Among the things that the print shop printed was Paddle Your Own Canoe, which was written by Horatio Alger, so promoting this idea of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, rugged individualism. You can just do it if you're just moral and good enough and work hard enough, and there are no social problems, we were doing great, and <laughs> um, which stands in contrast to Adler's conception where you know, he recognized that there were these systems at play that were contributing to poverty. Um, he referred to the tenements, uh, he said, quote, the tenement stamps the child's life with the vicious touch. So, you know, at this point, again, you know, today... Kindergartens are not considered to be particularly controversial. We have kindergartens all over the country, you know, and now we're even talking about trying to institute universal pre-kindergarten as well because we've seen the results of how effective it can be to introduce children to early childhood education. Um, But I think there's also another important component in Adler's ideas as well. You know, we talk a lot about STEM education today, you know, so science, technology, uh, engineering, and mathematics, right? And that's great, but it's almost exclusively done from the perspective of how can we increase someone's economic viability, right? Um, I remember actually I gave this talk at another society, and someone came up to me afterwards and said, oh, you know, we're doing a lot of work right now around this. I have a nonprofit that we're running, and we're working with children after school, and we're trying to teach STEM to them, so I think this is great. And he said, this is exactly the this, this stuff that we were doing. And it's not exactly, because Adler was very much concerned about building the citizen. It wasn't just about providing this person with a good job somewhere down the line. It was about teaching them how to be more moral people, teaching them how to to live as citizens in their world and to make their world a better place and understand how all the different pieces fit together. And I think that's what we need to see more of in our education today. And I think that's one of the great things that our societies are able to do. You know, we're able to give our children that component that they're probably not getting um, in their schools. So think about that on this wonderful Founders Day about, you know, the work that Felix Adler was doing around education. And hopefully it inspires you in the future to think about new ideas for your society and for your city. Thank you. Thank you.